0: In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would all the kids and teens up through the 12th grade please come forward. like I've seen. Good morning. Anybody have a coin on you? you have a nickel or a dime or a penny or anything? Um, no, but I have a golden penny at my house. You have a golden penny at your house? Yeah, I can <laughs> signs at my school. At your school? You, yeah, what, what, what image is on your coin, on your golden penny? Is it like yeah, Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln? So a president, right? Yeah. How do you think... How do you think that image got on your coin? And, and on all the coins that we have, there's a, an image usually of a president and, and other things, right? So how do you think that image got on there? Do you think they went abracadabra? <laughs> and all of a sudden the image was there, right? How do you think they do that? Maybe they use factory. They do, they use a factory, don't they? And there's a machine they use that's called a die and they, they set the die with the image of whatever they want stamped on this coin. The coin is a very soft metal. And so they put it right there and they clamp down on that soft metal and the image transfers from the die to the, to the soft metal, to the coin. So every coin has some sort of image, right? Isn't that pretty neat? That's neat, isn't it? Now, back in Jesus' day, they had coins too. And the, guess whose, whose image was on the coin? Do you remember? Anybody? Ro- uh, he was a Roman king, emperor uh, Caesar Caesar, uh-huh, Caesar Augustus in this case, right? Usually, right? So they had the king's image just like we have a president's image and in England they have the queen's image, right? Right? So you've got all these images on, but in Jesus' day they had the, 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 the emperor's image and the Jews came to Jesus and said who does this money belong to? Is this is this Caesar's or is, or what? Do we do we give money to Caesar? And Jesus said, "Whose whose image is on the coin?" And they said, "Well, this is Caesar's image on the coin." Then Jesus, what did Jesus say? Anybody remember? He said, "What belongs to Caesar, right? What has Caesar's image belongs to Caesar." But he also said something else. He said, he said. And, and we have to understand that we're made, we have an image in us too. Like, not like the dye, right? Not that kind. But in, we are made in the image of God. We are made in the image of God. The, the scriptures tell us that all over the place. We are made in the image of God. And when we're baptized, we are, we are given the spirit of God. And so Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God. And so if we are in the image of God, what do we give to God? What? Who? Praise. Praise. And even more than that, right? We give, yeah, certainly we give God our money too, but we give God ourselves, our lives, because we are made in the image of God and we belong to God. Everything about us belongs to God. Nothing I have is mine. Not my good looks. Nope. No. Nope. They were laughing. That wasn't a joke. No, that wasn't a joke. Not my intelligence. Nope, nope, no. Nope. Nothing belongs to me, even though I'm, God gave it to me to use. Why? For His kingdom's sake, not for my sake even though we usually use it for our sake. But God gave us, made us in his image so that we can bring glory to him. So everything about us belongs to God. Wow, huh? We have to remember that. If you remember that all your life and you start, start to live by that, you've learned the meaning of life. You've learned the meaning of life. And everything else is going to follow right along that path. If you, if you give to God first and to yourself and other people second or third or fourth or fifth or sixth or seventh, right? Everything belongs to God. And as long as we know that, things are good. All right? All right. Thanks for coming up. If you want to get a packet, y'all interns especially, if you want to get a packet to color, y'all can do that. <laughs> So on their 50th wedding anniversary, the husband and the wife, they summed up the reason for their long, happy marriage. And the husband said, I have tried never to be selfish. After all, there is no I in the word marriage. And the wife said, for my part, I have never corrected my husband's spelling." There was a preacher who was visiting a church in Mississippi and the pastor of the church announced that their prison quartet would be singing the following evening, on Monday evening. So the visiting preacher, he wasn't aware that there was a prison even close to, in, the, in the vicinity of the church and he was looking forward to hearing this prison quartet. Well, the next evening, the visiting preacher was puzzled when he saw four members of the congregation coming forward to the stage. And the pastor introduced them, and he said, This is our prison quartet, behind a few bars and always looking for a key. (laughs) Are you having to explain that to them, Andrew? (laughs) It was funny. One more then. Let me try one more. A young man and his pastor, they are playing a round of golf together. And at a short par three, uh, the pastor asks the young man, what club are you going to use for this hole? The young man says, an eight iron pastor. He said, how about you? And the pastor says, I'm going to hit a soft seven and, and then pray. The young man hits his eight iron, the ball falls right onto the green. The pastor swings the club, Tops his seven, iron dribbles the ball just a few yards in front of him. Young man says, "I don't know about you, pastor, but in my church when we pray, we keep our head down." Now that's a golf thing, you know. You can it's golf. I told you. (laughs) Today, I want to speak to you without apology about Christian stewardship and yes, even about our money. And I'll be right up front with you. If we reach a certain goal uh, in our financial giving this year, I will permit you to put a clock right here on the pulpit. And if we exceed our goal by $50,000, I will allow you to plug the clock in. And if we exceed the goal by $100,000, I'll even agree to look at it every now and then. But I speak to you today, again without apology, because our Lord Jesus talked a whole lot about stewardship and money. One-third of the parables of Jesus, as found within the Gospels, deal with stewardship and money. One-sixth of everything Jesus said, as found in the Gospels, deals with stewardship and money. Today, as we sort of begin our stewardship season, thinking about next year's budget and all that, we celebrate our stewardship together. And I want you to hear me when I say that stewardship begins first, ...with seeking the kingdom of God. Everything in the teachings of Jesus hinges on seeking first the kingdom of God with all of its goodness. And when that happens, as I told the kids, everything else necessary for living falls right into place. You know, Jesus goes so far as to say that anything which comes before this first thing of seeking the kingdom of God... Anything that comes before it is idolatrous. Nothing comes before seeking the kingdom. Not family, not career, not making money, not getting into shape, not church, not getting people to tithe, not getting church members to come to church, right? Not paying off our debt, not tax reform, not cleaning up the environment, not public service, not philanthropy, nothing. Anything that comes before the kingdom of God is idolatrous. Because human nature being what it is, if we don't seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, we probably are not going to seek it at all. Many of you in this congregation probably remember the name Danny Thomas, right? The story goes that before his career actually took off, he and his wife, Rosie, remember Rosie, had a baby on the way. They needed financial help. Danny Thomas worked at part-time jobs so that Rosie could buy groceries and all the things that they needed. He also borrowed money from his friends. It was a very, very tough time in their lives. A week before the baby was born, uh, Danny Thomas had the grand total of $7.85 to his name. $7.85, what would he do? Well, on Sunday morning, Danny went to church, as was his custom. When the offering plates were passed, he put in his usual $1. But something unexpected happened that day. A special missions offering was being taken... And the priest explained where the mission's offering would be going, and Danny felt that he had to give something. In fact, he says he got so excited that he gave the whole $7. He had given all of his money away on that Sunday. And after the service, he walked up to the altar rail, and he fell on his knees, and he prayed out loud, Lord, I've given my last seven bucks. I need it back tenfold because I've got a kid on the way and I've got bills to pay and especially the hospital bill. And he went home with a mere 85 cents in his pocket, all the money he had in the world. Later, he wrote this. You won't believe this, but the next morning, the phone rang in the rooming house hall. It was a job offer. He was offered a part in a commercial The job wasn't much, but the pay was good, $75. He says that he literally dropped the telephone receiver. First, he whooped with joy. Then an eerie feeling came over him. He remembered what he had prayed in church the day before, the $75 fee for the commercial unheard of for him at that time was almost exactly 10 times the amount of money he had donated to the church on that Sunday. Now, the important truth of this story is not that Danny Thomas received a tenfold return on his money. That's not what's important. The important thing about this story was Danny Thomas's lifelong allegiance to God. Many of you know the rest of the story that St. Jude's Hospital for Children stands today as a silent testimony to his allegiance to God. Now, I have two things to say about this story and about our Christian stewardship. The first is this, that anyone who gives only to get back, you are following a very nonsensical theology. To verify this truth, we all All we have to do is look back and see what happened to the first apostles and the evangelists. Surely if any group of Christians deserved to prosper because of their devotion in those early days, every one of them deserved a Mercedes and a swimming pool in the backyard and a gold trinket around their arms. But is that how that story turned out? It's not, is it? Here's how their story turned out according to one commentary Matthew, the evangelist, suffered martyrdom by a sword in Ethiopia. Mark died at Alexandria after being dragged through the streets of the city. Luke was hanged on an olive tree in Greece. Peter was crucified at Rome with his head downward. James was beheaded at Jerusalem. James the less was thrown from a pinnacle of the temple and beaten to death below. Philip was hanged against a pillar in Phrygia. Bartholomew was flayed alive. Andrew was bound to a cross from whence he preached to his persecutors until he died. Thomas was run through the body in India. Jude was shot to death with arrows. Matthias was first stoned and then beheaded. Barnabas was stoned to death at Salonica. And Paul was beheaded at Rome by Nero. When those early disciples talked about stocks and bonds, they weren't talking about General Motors and tax-free municipals. They were talking about the stocks and bonds that prisoners wear. When they talked of chains, they weren't talking about the golden variety you wear around your arms. They were talking about heavy cast iron chains. They offered their prayers of thanksgiving, not from the decks of their yachts, but from their prison cells. If I were to say to you that God will prosper you because you give your offerings to the church, I would be guilty of the worst kind of self-serving blasphemy. We don't give our gifts to God to get something back. But at the same time, don't be surprised when God responds your giving you know several years ago we began receiving large checks from someone I thought I knew very well and I looked at the stewardship report and saw that he had been giving more than twice his pledged amount for the last few years and I began to wonder what God was doing in his life to make that sort of thing happen and I love those kinds of stories and so I asked him out to lunch and. In the middle of our lunch, I said, I'm curious about something. You're very generous with your gifts to our parish. I've seen you give double beyond your pledge for for several years now. And his napkin came up to his mouth to kind of hide the embarrassment. And he said, well, whatever the amount, I know it's not enough. And he said, you see, I've known all my life that God loves me. And that he has been extremely gracious to me. A few years back it occurred to me that God was doing all the giving, giving, the real giving. And he said, "I, I gave regularly to the church, but it was way short of proportion to what my Lord had done for me. And so he said, it's no mystery. He says, I just keep trying to catch up. You know, that's a man who has some understanding of what he owes God. We don't give to God because we hope to receive special favors from God. We give out of gratitude for what God has already done on our behalf. That's the first thing I wanted to say. The second thing about the story has to do with Danny Thomas's lifelong allegiance to God. Stewardship is about giving our lives to God. Jesus has revealed to us that the purpose of our creation is, in essence, not just to live out our life's biography. Not just to go on living with the greatest of ease and significance as possible. That's not it. That's not the reason that God created us. The goal of our life is to know the Lord and to move into relationship with our God and to walk with him day by day. And what this means is that we are called to turn from the powers we have normally relied upon, like the powers of our possessions, the powers of our our beauty, our intelligence, our age, any of those powers that have any kind of control over us, to get rid of those and to surrender everything into the hands of God. Yes, of course, this sounds radical for us Anglicans. In fact, it sounds radical for anyone and everyone. But when we begin to realize that we have not been able to find the meaning of our lives within ourselves, or through the gaining and the acquiring of things in this world, or through the possession and manipulation of other people, and further, when we begin to realize that the end result of these things is our own sense of aloneness... In our own sense of being lost, then the notion of a radical surrender of our lives into the hands of our creator is seen in a better light. To receive the love of God means that we have to turn loose of trying to be masters of our own lives, to release ourselves totally into God's hands, into the hands of the one who loves us the most and nurtures us. And to do that means that the gods we have worshipped in trying to save ourselves must be surrendered, turned loose of, so that he indeed may become Lord of our lives. So Jesus' call is to know God and the meaning of God. And once that happens, we will begin to know the meaning of our own lives. We will begin to understand to practice stewardship because stewardship is nothing less than the offering of our lives to God it is a total response and accountability before God only one component of which is the giving of our money for the work of the Lord here at St. Timothy's Anglican Church it is my prayer That through the monetary pledge you offer to God during this stewardship season for next year's budget, you will be able to sense the joy and the liberation and the power and the oneness with our Lord that comes from giving out of thankfulness and out of a response to the tremendous love that God has for you and for me.